Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 385, recorded February 19th, 2023. So last episode we were all the threes and today we're all fours. With, yes. Uh, Star Trek 2022 number four and Star Trek Resurgence number four. Mm-hmm. 44. So these are both the, uh, the stories that IDW is doing at the current time with a lot of new characters and... Uh, not just the exact same crews that you're used to from shows and whatnot. And I think it's kind of a, a mixed bag a little bit. Yeah, I, I kind of like the fact that it's a totally new crew. Uh, I mean, there's no... I mean, except for Dr. Brahms. Dr. Brahms is a carryover character, so that's cool. But she's not a member of the crew. Right. So I kind of like having a totally different ship. Uh, not the hero... You know, not, not the flagship of, the, of, the, of Starfleet. And I kind of like having new characters... Um, this is something that uh, they have put forward. Uh, Noah Noah Hawley, uh, I think it's Hawley. Anyway, uh, he, he for a while he was going to do the uh, he was re- working on a script for a Star Trek movie that oh, right. supposedly had uh, you know a new crew, a new ship, and that went nowhere. So it's it's good to see that somewhere that's happening. Right, anyway, it's but, still but, based on a video do, game. Huh? What was that? <laughs> yeah, but it's still going to be based on a video game. This resurgence is based on a video game, well, which, so we'll be exposed to them there. Oh, but, but we weren't—we we weren't exposed to them in the past. So that's true. That's true. Uh, so I mean, just it's—it's it's a little fresher, right? And yeah, it reminds uh, me yeah. of um, Calhoun and stuff from the New Frontiers comics. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I love that. That was great. There's so much more diversity going on in the comic books and the novels that I really right. enjoy. Right. But I guess when you're having to spend millions on the production of a movie or a TV show, you're going to play a little more safe. Right. Although definitely Enterprise, you know, that was a totally new crew. Yeah, and it worked out great. Well, I, I thought so, but <laughs> not everyone did. Yeah, anyway. I- and yeah, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag for me too. Uh, it you know, my biggest comment about this so far is the story is a bit predictable. Right. Yeah. So yeah, issue number four of Resurgence goes exactly the way we talked about. Yeah. After three, we were like, sure, hope they don't do X. And then they and did X. They did it. <laughs> yeah. So what about Star Trek ongoing with the kind of the mixed crew of some people you know and some people you don't? You well, think it's better or worse than brand new characters, hundred percent. Well, I mean, quite frankly, the Star Trek twenty twenty two has so many legacy characters that we never saw together. So that's true, but it's so heavy with legacy characters that were just picked from the different franchises that mm-hmm. were in more the you know the, the TNG time frame, uh, mixed with some brand new ones. I agree. Um, it, 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 they feel a little different, um, and I think they're both 
uh, the way the stories are going are a mixed bag. Right. Yeah, with, with the Star Trek ongoing, it's just, yeah, you're picking these characters that we know, but oftentimes they have nothing to do in the story, sure. and what they do do isn't in line with their characters. I mean, like mm. with Worf in, in issue two or three or whatever, two, I mean, that didn't really feel like Worf to me. And then, mm. you know, Data has a little bit in this issue, and it just doesn't come across as yeah. Data. And Tom Paris, you will hardly ever see him. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting he's even on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it, it, like I said, it's a it's a mixed bag. I, I like some of it, but then some of it I'm just like, eh, I don't know. just doesn't doesn't sit right. Right. But it's Star Trek, so it's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we could be reading Star you know, Wars. Marvel. Uh, so anyway, okay. so you want to get into uh, Resurgence? Yep. I'm doing Resurgence number four, published date February 2023. Creative team consists of writer Andrew Grant and Dan Martin, artist Josh Hood, colorist Charlie Kirchhoff, uh, letterer Neil Yataki, uh, senior editor Heather Antos, editorial assists by Vanessa Rial. I did say Andrew Grant and Dan Martin, didn't I? Writer. I heard the Andrew Grant. I didn't hear the Dan Martin. Okay, so there you go. They're both they're both writers. And I'm kind of wondering: did they? Uh, did, are they are they comic book writers, or are they the guys that wrote the um, the game, and so therefore they wrote the prequel, or are they just totally comic book guys that took what the game people did? And just came up with a prequel storyline. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm kind of interested. But I'll look it up. Oh, you're the man. Okay. Three covers. Cover A features Dr. Leah Brahms with safety goggles and yellow lab coat on, holding her left hand up into the air as if to present the marvel of her new starship propulsion technology, which on the cover is represented by the USS Resolute. Uh, that is streaking through space, and also under the ship is the special dilithium crystals that are required to make it work. So it's kind of representing the wonder. Cover by Josh Hood. Cover B features Captain Hector menacingly reaching his left hand out to grab the USS Resolute as it tries to escape at high speed. And this one was done by Gavin Smith. The retailer and center cover features Captain Hector's head and shoulders in the upper left-hand corner, and smaller versions of uh, the head and shoulders of Commander Sutherland, Captain Solano, Dr. Brahms, and Commander Westbrook. At dead center is a Starfleet swoosh, com badge, with the signature flame symbol that seems to be the symbol of this comic book series, and it's, you know, so the flame is in the center of the uh, com badge swoosh. At the bottom is the USS Resolute, and of course all of this is typically, as typically is the case, against a background of stars and planets. Hector's Solarian forces are in hot pursuit of the Resolute, who is limited to impulse speed due to the partial installation of Dr. Brahms' experimental warp drive matrix. On the Resolute's bridge, Captain Solano, Commander Sutherland, and the rest of the bridge crew are reviewing their limited options. 
Dr. Browns is still refining the special dilithium required to make her experimental warp matrix work. Uh, and of course, that's what's currently loaded in the ship's drive system. Solano orders an SOS transmission to Starfleet, appraising them of their current position being in being pursued. And they uh, are supposed to transmit the, their location and the fact they are limited to sublight engines. But Ermat uh, reports the Talarians are jamming all transmissions. So Captain Solano orders best speed into an unusually handy nearby nebula. Isn't it wonderful how nebulas always seem to be there when you need them? While the Resolute is slowly making its way to the nebula, Captain Solano takes the opportunity to ask Sutherland into his ready room for a formal dressing down. Solano and Sutherland go back and forth, making points about who was wrong and who was right. But in the end, Solano's the captain, and Sutherland disrespected the chain of command. Dr. Brahms barges in, asking to be briefed on what the heck is going on. Sutherland's duplicity that extracted the Resolute from the clutches of the Talarians with Dr. Brahms on board was a great result. But he went against the captain's orders and put a crimp in the doctor's research plans. Solano and Brahms are not happy with him, but Sutherland's point that Hector cannot be trusted was self-evidently correct. As the Talarians are about to enter weapons range, the captain is called back to the bridge. Meanwhile, in Talarian land, Captain Hector is bawling out Captain Endar for withdrawing all his troops from the Resolute with a false report of a plasma breach. Hector states he wants to make all aboard the Resolute suffer slowly, and he wants that warp engine back. Back on the Resolute's bridge, Brahms reports the refining process is nearly complete. They say they can try the experimental warp matrix or take more time to reinstall the original warp matrix that they know will work. Captain Solano says there's no time to second-guess themselves and makes the decision to stick with the experimental matrix. The first Talarian torpedo hits the Resolute, knocking shields down to 30% and inflicting heavy damage on Deck 7. Dr. Brahms is back in engineering, installing the enhanced dilithium and making final adjustments to the experimental matrix. On board Captain Endar's ship, he tells his number one that Hector will lead them to ruin and decides to risk Hector's wrath by moving his ship between Hector and the Resolute. Sutherland recognizes Captain Endar is buying them more time. Brahms reports she is finished. The warp core is operational. Solano gives the order, full warp, now! The Resolute streaks away from the Talarian ships. On the Resolute, everyone breathes a sigh of relief with their apparent escape. Then Helm reports they are approaching the border of Talarian space, and the ship's speed is continuing to climb. Brahms receives congratulations. Meanwhile, Hector opens a channel to Captain Endar to chew him out for ruining their chance to disable the Resolute. Hector gives the order to track and pursue the Resolute. They will get that engine back even if they have to chase them into Federation space. The channel is closed. Captain Endar gives the order to pursue and says they need to find the Resolute first. 
On the Resolute, the congratulations quickly turn to dread when they realize the power is dangerously surging and they so far cannot stop the reactor. Dr. Brahms and the Vulcan chief engineer realize they cannot merely shut down the active warp core, so they try multiple things to bleed off the runaway reaction. With five minutes left before Armageddon, they hit on a plan to shunt the excess plasma through the impulse engines, but someone has to get down to the impulse engine room and make the changes manually. Sutherland and Westbrook are on it and run to the engine room. They are able to open the impulse vents and reroute the excess plasma. The plasma begins to exit the ship as pressures begin to slowly come down. Suddenly, a spike in the plasma conduit pressure triggers an explosion. Sutherland and Westbrook see the spike and move away from the control panel to get out of the engine room. But too late. They are still in the room when it goes all explodey. The Resolute loses pitch control as major damage to the impulse engines and starboard warp nacelle disables the once mighty starship. To be continued. Yeah, it looks bad. It does look bad. The final page looks really nicely drawn. Looks like one of those nacelles is just going to fall right off. Yeah. All right. So the starboard, the right side side of the ship, uh, the nacelle looks like it's coming apart, and the pylon is definitely coming apart. And then, of course, where the impulse engines are, lots of uh, blue smoke. So I doubt those two guys are going to be in the game. I mean, it looks like they just exploded. (laughs) It does look that way, but uh, I do have a prediction. Oh, yeah? What is it? So uh, this was not going to be one of my first comments, but okay. So we successfully predicted (laughs) that they were going to use the experimental warp drive. Fine. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much as far as we went. I think. Right, right. So that's how they're going to get away from the Tolerians, blah, blah, blah. And it was going to work, but, you know, I guess we didn't talk about the possibility of it working, but maybe not 100%. So, so that did happen. Um, I think that just because they have shown Captain Solano in such a poor light frequently in this, uh, these four issues so far, and the fact that when Westbrook and Sutherland are in the impulse engine room and they're, you know, taking that big, huge wrench <laughs> to redirect the, uh, the plasma out through the engine, uh, the impulse vents. Uh, yet again, Westbrook, and I think he said this before, it, like in an earlier issue, when they promote you to captain of your own ship after this, promise me you'll take me with you. And then Sutherland says, deal. So, uh, bottom line is, my prediction is that Sutherland will be nowhere to be seen. I mean, uh, Solana will be nowhere to be seen. Uh, Westbrook, not Westbrook, Sutherland is going to be captain. uh, And he might even end up being captain of uh, the Resolute, assuming that they can repair the ship. So, there's there's my next prediction. So, that that game, that's what I think the game is going to be. He's going to be the captain, Sutherland. Uh, well, he's uh, Solano's in the trailer, and oh, is he of the game? And it seems like the first officer is always a girl in the uh, trailers, which I thought maybe a gender swap for uh, Sutherland. So I, I I think your prediction's a little off. I think I think Solano sticks around. Ugh. 
But if it's not a gender okay. swap, may, maybe Sutherland's not going to make it. Maybe maybe he does die or does get promoted, and uh, we get a new first officer uh, who's a girl in uh, the game. Well, know. if these two guys die, I'm going to be really surprised. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of people die like this in Star Trek, so I'm pretty sure they'll live. Yeah. So maybe he gets promoted before the the game and uh, the the girl that I've seen in the trailers, which I thought was a gender swap, you know, a gender selection for mm-hmm. Sutherland. Maybe, maybe she is a, a wholly unique character. I don't know yet. They haven't really released a lot of information on that game. On the game. Hmm. It comes out in April. So right. hopefully by the time we post this, we'll have already played it and loved it. There you go. Well, definitely Sutherland's a bit of a maverick. He's a and little he crazy. What? He seems a little crazy. Like, like, so, fanatical almost just like we got to get in the history books oh wait a minute i'm talking about sutherland oh, 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 oh i was talking okay now so captain solano i agree with that too i i agree with what you're saying there yeah but his yeah. His, his his priorities are are wrong i mean he does verbally say his top priority is to get his you know get his crew back to to federation space uh either in this issue or a previous one Mm-hmm. Which is great, you say that, but the decisions you make make you sound like a glory-hungry hungry guy. It does. And then when they're in the bad situation, Solano is, Captain Solano is, is doubled over, and he's got his head in his hands, and it's like, and it's, uh, it's Sutherland who's, who's giving, you know, good orders. And it's like, is this guy really going to continue to be the captain? I don't know. Yeah, not, not only is he doubled over with his hands in his head, he's, mm-hmm. he's crying. You can see, he, like, tears coming out of his uh, eyes. Well, can you see that? I mean, I, I, I assume the same thing. Uh, you know, I'm looking at that like, oh, Captain Alligator Tears, oh, no. <laughs> so, hey, you, you may be right about him. I, yeah, I thought the, the same thing. In the panel right above, you can see that he's, he's crying. He oh, my God. Tears. You can't do that when you're captain. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, so so into the game, again, the main character is going to be the, uh, the first the officer. The first officer, right. So you got to have a flawed captain or the first officer, you know, can't be the center of attention doing everything right, I guess. I don't know. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, Solano definitely seems like a flawed captain for sure. Yeah. So maybe they are setting up uh, Sutherland to get his own ship and this, this guy's going to follow him. Well, why do they keep saying that? I yeah, mean, I don't is know. It, isn't like this the, the second time? time? Said it. No, it's yeah, multiple times they've yeah. said it. Mm. So, okay, it is weird. Yeah. Um, I again, Hector, Captain Hector, is the scarred and single-dimensional screaming bad guy. Definitely. But man, on uh, on page twelve, they got a really good. Uh, drawing of him, I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, he, he, the whole right side of his face is ruined. His right eye is ruined, and then his teeth are all bared, and you could see the teeth on the right side of his mouth are all like fractured. And I yeah. just think it looks great. Yeah, definitely got the uh, two face vibes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I didn't think of that, but that's that's a good point. Yeah, how does he always light the room so that only his good side's lit up and that, that one <laughs> upside is always in shadow? I don't know. 
I don't know. <laughs> I thought that uh, on that same page, page 12, mm-hmm. um, the human that's that's a, a Talarian. Yeah. Uh, he looked a lot like Lieutenant Paris in that picture. I was just like, I guess, I mean, the actor was a good-looking blonde guy in, in the TNG episode, but here he's just like, man, he looks a lot like Paris. Yeah. So that's the guy that's at the helm? Or yeah. navigation or yeah, something? The, the human, yeah. yeah. Well, no, the the captain of the other ship. The human. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. Yeah, on that yeah, same page point. of uh, page 12 when Hector's screaming at him and he's just like, uh, track the Resolute, make sure that we get to them first. Yeah. He looks just like Tim, Tom, Tom Paris. <laughs> yes, I do agree. So, Captain Endar. Indar, that's his name. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> yeah. So what, Jono, Juno, J-O-N-O is his first name? Right. Yeah. Yeah, he does look like Tom Paris. But yeah, when, when uh, you've mentioned this before, that you thought uh, Solano looked like uh, J.K. Simmons. I think you said that. Oh. Uh, but yeah, when he's on the bridge and he's like talking about... And I do agree with you. ...being on the... Uh, being in the history books and his arms all outstretched and he's mm-hmm. congratulating the crew. I was like, oh my goodness, he looks just like Jenkinson. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. I agree with you. Oh my gosh. What a flawed captain. For the first time, one of the covers, uh, that the one that's done by Angel Hernandez, mm-hmm. uh, the characters look a bit different. Uh, definitely the drawing of Leia Brahms is very different from how Josh Hood does it. And I kind of question whether she looks anything like the actress. I mean, a little bit, but... A little bit, yeah. Uh, and then um, Sutherland, Commander Sutherland, I mean, looks a lot beefier <laughs> than like he ever Tony does in the book. He looks like a young Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, uh, yeah. Schwarzenegger, uh, maybe Tarzan. I don't know. The guy looks pretty beefy and, you know, ready, you know, ready to shoot somebody with that phaser in his hand. And right. then Westbrook at the bottom, what a huge chin. I know. What is up with that? I don't know. But, uh, but those, those three don't look that much like they've ever looked in, in the comic book. Uh, right. Captain Solano looks, yeah, he, he looks like J.K. Simmons. That's fine. <laughs> and then Hector looks pretty much like Hector looks. Right. Definitely the bad guy. Yes, he is, <laughs> he is definitely the bad guy. So I guess he's going to continue to be the bad guy in the in the um, in the game. I don't know. Hmm. I know that Spock's in the game. That's literally all I know. I know Spock's in the game. The main character looked like she was a girl, yeah. and J.K. Simmons is in there. That's all I knew. Nah. <laughs> <sighs> well, now I'm kind of interested in what. I mean, this is a prequel, right? Right. So. Is the prequel doing something important for setup? Right. For the game. And I'm betting no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. I'm betting it's going to be like all the countdowns and stuff that we read where we're like, <laughs> oh, this is countdown to End of Darkness. It's going to be so great. And then it has absolutely nothing to do with what's going to be in the movie. Mm. There you go. Okay. So. But uh, but you did mention the writers, so uh, I did look them up while oh, cool. you were synopsizing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is their first, basically their first comic book. Oh, okay. And I tried to find out if they were writers of the game, and I could not find out who the writers of the game is because mm-hmm. it's not released yet. But uh, but 
As far as Andrew Grant, this is his first four comics. And Dan Martin, he had two other issues of a a random story. It looked like it was a independently published book. So Mm -hmm. not a, not any of the big, big name comic book companies. So it is possible that they could be writers of the game and, Mm -hmm. and now this comic or, or they're just fresh comic book writers that they're giving a shot to. I don't know. Sure. Or maybe Andrew Grant is more aligned with writing the game and Dan Martin brings at least some comic book expertise. Yeah, there's just those two issues. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah. I'll know more once I get the game and I can read the credits on the game. Sure. But, uh, sure. but you made a good point. And, I, and, and they have zero, you know, basically zero comic book history. So Yeah. Okay. There you go. But I will say, uh, as far as this story versus the other number four we're going to read here in mm-hmm. a minute, I, I am enjoying the story structure of this better than the other one, which is written by, you know, pretty seasoned comic book writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. Right. Yeah, they're they're very uh, they're they're very accomplished. Um, I mean, they're the ones that did that that whole. What season four of Taws with Rogue with Renegade Gary Seven and stuff? Aren't those the, uh, ones they the did year that? five? Yeah, or yeah. year five? Yeah, I know they did a good chunk of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you know they they're they've done big series in the past. Okay. Speaking of which, anything mm-hmm. else to say about this one? Uh, the last thing I have to say about this one is the um, that weird looking ship. You know how we we were debating on whether it was huge or small or mm-hmm. whatever the the weird hybrid ship. Sure. Um, I still think it's really ugly. <laughs> of course, it's ugly. But so of course it seemed it... like it's about the same size as the Resolute. Did you get that vibe, or did you get that it was well, bigger uh, again? It's kind of hard to tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because of where in the shots um, the ship is. I mean, there's some where it looks like it's almost. So on that page with Captain Endar, um, where you know where they're getting ready to swoosh off with, with the uh, with the experimental warp drive working, right? Um, I'm thinking at first it almost looks smaller than Endar's ship until I realize that, hold on, from that perspective, it's only showing part of the hybrid uh, Tolarian ship. I mean, there's a whole extra part in the back. Um, and then at the bottom where they go swooshing off the uh, uh, Resolute, yeah, it makes it look like the hybrid ship is bigger than Endar's ship. But right. again, that just might be the the hybrid ship is closer to us than Endar's ship is a little further forward. So I don't know. It yeah. it, it 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 looks like it's big, but not um, vengeance big. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. And it's so ugly that that oh, it's uh, ugly. that back part where it just looks like they just cobbled together a bunch of random bits. It called is it a day. stupid ugly. So, so those are the warp nacelles in the middle of the engineering section, kind and of there's on all this extra garbage in the back. Thing, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, the 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 nacelles are almost like a little jetpack you'd put on like a toy or something. Yeah, yeah. And they're so small compared to the saucer section and the yeah. rest of the body. Or is that impulse drive? I, I have know. no idea. I have no idea. It just looks like squares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's a hard to figure out ship, but I mean, their technology is perhaps behind enough that. Uh, that whole contraption in the back might be the experimental warp drive. I don't know. Right. I don't know. I don't know. So is this going to issue six or does this stop at, uh, at five? Um, I do not know. I think it, I think next issue might be the last issue. I think, I think it's only a five part. Well, it would make sense. I mean, so what's going to happen next? Let's do our predictions. Um, I'm going to guess that captain, Juno or Captain Endar gets to the Resolute first, but then Hector is going to get there not too not too soon after, and then uh, is Juno going to commit a ship and crew to you know crossing the line and really defending uh, the Resolute against right. Hector? Is he going to go that far? And then you know is Starfleet going to come to the rescue in the end? Because uh, obviously these people do not die, <laughs> right? You know, uh, the Resolute is probably in the game, and these and mo- it sounds like a fair number of the characters are confirmed as being in the game. So, you know, they're going to get out of this somehow, right? Yeah, m- my prediction is that um, Indar will go all in on 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 protecting the ship, not mm-hmm. not because he wants to to protect the humans or the Federation. It's because he knows that by destroying the Resolute, they're committing an act of war that yep. will destroy his adoptive people. Yep. So I really think that he'll probably sacrifice himself to take out uh, Hector. Ah, so both will, ships will go boom. Yeah, both boom. ships will go. Yeah. Huh? That's my prediction. Cool. Well, he's definitely made it clear that he thinks Hector is uh, nothing but bad news. Yeah, and and they're kind of projecting Hector as being really stupid because Endar will be like, oh, I thought I had a shot. That's why I moved in front of you. (laughs) That's so BS. (laughs) Again, it just reminds me of of, uh, Hogan's Heroes. Yeah, no, I could totally see it on this one. It's like, uh, wait a minute, Hector, you you continue to actually believe that Juno is on your side? (laughs) Right, it is funny. Or Jono, whatever. All right, that was my last comment. Okay. Ready for the next one? I'm ready. So uh, I thought we would do something a little different on this one. Is that uh, I'm going to give you the credits and the covers, and then I'm they have an opening crawl that I want to talk about what's in the opening crawl, and then Ken and I I want to I want to have a chat with you before I get into the meat of the story. How's that sound? That sounds fine. Star Wars crawl. Got to discuss it. It is weird that they, they're doing that now. I mean, it makes sense with these like mini series, and you may not have the previous issue, or it's been mm-hmm. a month since you read it, mm-hmm. so you need a little refresher. But this one seems weird, and uh, we'll talk about it here in a second. How's that? Well, they definitely are pretty comprehensive. Yeah, uh, and so comprehensive, like, <laughs> like too comprehensive. <laughs> they tell you new things you never knew before. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. All right, so this is issue four. came out February of 2023. 
Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing was the writers. Uh, Ramon Rosanas and Oleg Chudakov is the artist. Colorist by Lee Lowridge. Letterer by Clayton Cowles. Neil Yutaki is the design and production. Senior editor Heather Antos. Editorial assist by Vanessa Real. So here's that opening crawl we talked about. So we are reminded of the Theseus's mission that they've learned that a faction of Klingons were responsible of holding the engineers hostage to create a god killing device and that their next target is the mysterious civilization of Takan, which Takan is a species that we learned about in season one of the next generation. Uh, that's capable of reshaping whole solar systems. And that's where I want to stop. So what do you think of that opening thing? Gave you information well, you already knew from previous issues? Well, what you just said, yes. But, I mean, the, did I miss it? Did you mention the Klingons? Yeah, I mentioned okay, you, you did mention it. Okay, so you, yeah. you, you did say that line, yes. Right. So Cisco has discovered a mysterious faction of Klingons is behind the genocide of gods. That is the line that made me go, what? So in issue two, they're mm-hmm. talking to the engineers, and the engineers are about to kill them, and then Data goes, oh, don't kill them because they created me, and just like you, they're, they're also engineers in a fashion. And so the engineers stop killing them, and then immediately we cut to the, uh, the ship, and they're in a briefing room, and Cisco says... Well, they were forced to create the God-killing weapon, blah, blah, blah. But they, they had never gu- say... They had a gun to their heads, whatever. They never say who it was. It's no. just they did it. They made them do it. Exactly. And then and then we had the Q issue, which they didn't even talk about, the engineers or anything, through that whole issue. And then now we get to this one, and suddenly it's the city of Takan and the Klingons and all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, none of this stuff was mentioned before. Well, was it? well, definitely Takan was. Was it? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, didn't isn't that what in is issue that, three is that isn't that what ended? Q said? Yeah, maybe. But but it was like it was like when Q said that it's like, well, does Cisco know where Takan is? Like, right. They didn't say. Yeah, exactly. You didn't know that uh, they, it was a, a place they didn't know where it was. Right. You didn't know at the end of that issue, but obviously, well, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about this. <laughs> um, so the biggest thing that, that stuck in my craw was the whole thing about the Klingons being the guys that are behind uh, forcing the engineers to uh, the shapers, whatever, right. uh, to go ahead and build the ship and weapon that could kill gods. Right. So it's like, like you just said, they never said Klingon. They always said they, 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 they. I still didn't know who it was. I didn't think anybody knew who it was because right. I didn't think the, um, I didn't think the, uh, the shapers yeah. said. Right. I mean, the shapers, what did they say? They had a gun to the head and they were... And the shapers were even were fearful. They were fearful. Right. So they wouldn't say anything. So it's like, wow, okay. And then now we find out it's the Klingons? It's like, well, hold on. Didn't right. they, in the previous issue, didn't the shapers have enough technology and advance enough that they were going to, you know, kill Cisco and company? 
at least the landing party, and right. I assume they would have taken out the ship too, because they were just that that advanced. But you know, maybe the ship. Maybe I'm stretching things with the ship being taken out also. But at the right. very least, they're going to kill the, the, the landing party. Yeah. So how do the Klingons, who at their best day, they're up to the same level of technology on the, as the Federation, on a good day, how did they hold a gun to the Shaper's head to build this thing? Right. I don't know. Yeah. It makes no sense. And and that kind of like um, opening crawl yeah. works well in like Star Wars or something mm-hmm. because those movies usually take place several years after the last movie mm-hmm. and not and you know it is okay to be introduced to new information that way just to get the story going uh, but on a month monthly comic book you shouldn't have to rely on the opening crawl to learn information that wasn't no, I completely agree issues. with that I completely new information. You know, a little recap just remind people of what happened. Fine. Yeah, love but, recaps. Yeah, but giving new information? No, that doesn't make any sense. Now, did they somehow? Did we? Did you and I miss something? I don't think so. I, I went back and reread the the ending of of two just to make sure that they didn't say Klingons, and, yeah. and I could not find it anywhere. So. And okay. even even in that issue, Worf's fighting with the Klingons, you know, in orbit, and they never mention, you know, that that Klingon never says, you know, I got to keep this secret or anything like that. So there's to me, there was no hint that it was Klingons. No, aside from that, it was in Klingon space. Now I will say that they were kind of energetically with three was it three ships? They were kind of energetically trying to keep the Theseus away from the Shapers. Uh, but that could have been just easy. that. If, huh? if they really were trying to hide this, they they got scared away pretty easy when Worf did that bluff about creating a having a new weapon that uh, yeah. would destroy. Yeah. Gr- granted, I mean, and and so from that encounter, I just thought they were just enforcing what they said. Right. So Kalis yeah. the clone, Kalis the clone said never to uh, to the request uh, for for. Uh, for the Theseus to go and visit the uh, the world, the Shapers. Right. And I, I thought that was a bit energetic to say never. But it's like, okay, fine. This guy's got an ego trip. If he says never, he means never. Get them the heck out of there, you know, when he finds out that they were they were doing it anyway. That's, yeah. Mm. All yeah. right. Shall we go for the rest of the story? Let's continue. All right. So Captain Sisko's thinking to himself, on how to discuss this whole God business with his adult son, Jake. He feels that Jake just would not understand, so he does not talk to him about it at all. Meanwhile, Scotty, the Vulcan Talar, and the Andorian Sato are discussing how to find these gods. And they're bouncing ideas off of each other, and then they come to the conclusion that they can track Kardashev tachyons through subspace and they can see where subspace transmissions are being bent throughout the universe and find out where these godlike beings are being hidden and then later they show what they have found to Cisco and Data and they say they've located the long lost location of the city of Takan Cisco orders the ship to get there post haste 
And when they get there, they find a huge planet-sized space station. They say it's hollow, and Paris says he's itching to fly in there and have a look around. Uh, they speculate that this is perhaps the device that the Takan use to be able to move stars and planets to their liking. Uh, as they go further inside the structure, Crusher's scans show that it seems to have a huge brain at the center of this planet-sized object. Suddenly, Scotty calls in from engineering and says that the space outside the ship is getting thick, and it's only getting thicker. Uh, he says that this thickness is causing the antimatter scrubbers to not be able to do their jobs. Suddenly, systems all across the ship start acting up, and scans show that some sort of new special Klingon ship has just arrived. They are contacted by the new ship, and we learn that it is headed by the clone Kalis himself. He's... He says he was the one uh, that created the God Killer, or forced the Shapers to create the God Killer. This explains why he refused to allow Cisco to seek the engineers in issue two. So there's a chase within the station, and the Klingons are heading towards the brain in order to destroy it. Kalis admits to killing the crystalline entities and a man at the edge of the universe, obviously referring to Gary Mitchell in the prequel comic. Worf is feeling guilty about all of this since it was his idea to allow the clone to be treated as a honorific head of the Klingon Empire back in the Next Generation episode. The race continues towards the Takan brain as the issue concludes with to be continued. When the Klingon ship shows up, that's the first time I had any inkling it was the Klingons behind the God Killer. Because you hadn't read the... I hadn't read the crawl. Yeah, because and I, I usually don't. I, I usually don't read the crawl. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would have been a good surprise. I'd be like, oh, wow, Klingons. Yeah, which is, that's what I thought they were going for. Why'd they even put it in the crawl? Right. I kind of wonder if maybe this is, that was the crawl for the, the next issue and they actually mm-hmm. put it in the wrong one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a possibility. A publishing mistake. Right. I I did forget to uh, mention the covers. Can I do that real quick? Sure. Because it does kind of give a hint as the Klingons there, too. Mm -hmm. So cover A is by Ramon Rosanis, and it shows the thesis above a planet, and then there's a shadow of a bird of prey. Ooh, I love that one. The bird of prey is right above the ship. And then cover B is by Marcus, too. And it just shows the Theseus kind of flying towards a city of some sort with uh, Cisco and Jake kind of hovering above. Cover C is by Joe Quinones. And it's kind of a psychedelic picture with data and profile in the middle. And then we see a Theseus on a rainbow bridge type thing flying towards the reader with Sato and Cisco behind. And then the retailer incentive cover is Shows like a holographic city, and then we see Scotty, Talar, and Sato standing behind it looking in. And then there's like a black and white version of cover A, and then a version cover of uh, that uh, that incentive cover. So, if you were looking at the covers, you might have thought Klingons um, based on that shadow. Um, yeah, I did not notice the bird of prey shadow when I first looked at the cover. 
I was just thinking, oh, there's a theseist. Right. Now, I did notice it later, but not before I got to the end. Yeah, definitely the the black and white cover really makes it clear that that's a bird of prey uh, shadow. But uh, but yeah. And and having seen the bird of prey shadow, I say, wow, that looks cool. And then I start thinking about it. Which is not that big a deal, because you know that Kalis was mad at him and chased him around in issue two, and they're still in Klingon space. So I I probably wouldn't have still put two and two together that the Klingons were the god killers. Well, the the thing, my point had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the idea that that's a planetary surface, at least I think it is. And there's obviously a source of light behind them. I would guess the sun or mm-hmm. the star of that particular star system. Sure. And there's the there's the um, shadow of the Theseus, and then a huge shadow of a bird of prey, Klingon bird of prey. Right. And that is a big shadow. It is so. If you think about it, I mean the 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 assumption is that that. Klingon bird of prey is above the Theseus in orbit around whatever this is. And if that's the case, that ship would have to be massive for that to happen. Uh, I mean, it's so big. Right. And um, I don't it, the, the perspective is wrong. Now, the idea that they made it so big to make it so menacing, to make it like, oh, the Klingons are going to get your butt, <laughs> mm-hmm. so you better watch out. Uh, you know, from that standpoint, fine. But I just don't think shadows work that way in the real world. Right. I just wanted to say that. Nope, you're right. Unless it's uh, you know, a black silhouette painted on a giant, um, on a giant spotlight Sheet. on top of, uh, <laughs> on top of uh, the GCPD headquarter. Yeah, I guess I could be. But definitely when you look at it towards the end of this comic where they have the silhouettes of the two ships and the Klingons fire back at them, mm-hmm. they, they look at like roughly the same size ships. Yeah, it doesn't look as big. Yeah. And by the way, weren't Bird of Prey's always kind of a smaller ship? Yes. You know, compared to a D7 or whatever they call the later ones. Um yeah, I wasn't sure if this was a bird of prey or just kind of in that style, though. Well, exactly. So I guess my point is the style is very much bird of prey, but supersized. Right. I would agree. Now, uh, I, I don't know why they would necessarily pick a a supersized bird of prey design to go with as opposed to just using, you know... what. what uh, a duck talk or you know, whatever they call those, those big ones mm-hmm. uh, that, that we saw every once in a while, the next gen and stuff and the movie and the, and the movies. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know why they went back to that, but I, it is an iconic look. I mean, you look at that right away and you know, it's Klingon, but right. And by the way, that's been the design since, uh, since the next no, yeah, since... that, that's the design since the next-gen movies. Right? No, the, 
Nah, the or not not uh, Taz uh, movies. The Taz right. movies, yeah. I miss Star Trek Three. I think is the worst that we saw. Exactly. I, I I meant to say Taz movies. Um, so that's been around a long time, and they still don't look that much different. <laughs> at least in this book, right? That way, that way they can reuse the same exploding <laughs> bird of prey in several movies, <sighs> and nobody will bat an eye. Exactly. Good point. <laughs> anyway. So what do you think about Kalis just monologuing about why he's doing all this stuff? I thought that was kind of funny. Just like it's a very Bondian thing to do. Just like, oh, oh yeah. now I'm going to tell you my whole plan. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did seem like a Bond villain. And why is he such a... I still don't get why he's doing it. Yeah, he never came across that way in the show. And uh-huh. in all the other expanded media, he, he doesn't come across that way. But here he's just like, I, I, in my past I taught, I taught the Klingon people to bow to nobody, and so that's why we're going to kill all these gods. Well, if you're going to bow to nobody, why wouldn't you take on the Federation? I mean, rather than taking on gods, isn't that kind of a punching above your weight a bit? Obviously not. <laughs> Although the gods he's taken out so far are ones that we never would have counted as gods. You know, the crystalline entities. I, I never knew there were gods. Yeah, me either. Uh, Gary, sure. But, um... Right. And then the, uh, the Takan, I mean, they talked about it once ever. <laughs> and it was just that they had the technology to move a solar system. Uh, right. That doesn't necessarily scream God I, to me. That just screams they just had technology. technologically advanced. Yeah. Right. Now, this mega brain? Yeah, that's a different. That's inside a that planet-sized space station? That's a new... That That's a new thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so obviously the Takan saw what McCoy and Spock were able to do with a brain outside of a body ah! and just expanded it to this uh, giant battle Spock's, station. Spock's brain lives on. Yeah, exactly. The legacy. Okay, so this, so the Takan the Takan supposedly fell, the Empire, Takan Empire, supposedly fell 600,000 years ago when their home system went supernova. Or whatever, uh, isn't that what it says on the on the cup, yep. on, on the opening? Right. So 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 there's a good little briefing thing about the Takan that uh, Cisco's reading. So it's that's great. That's great. Galactic Archives of Takan. Some Elcar's uh, Starfleet whatever thingy that Cisco's reading up on. So great, love it. If you're that technologically advanced. Who cares if your home system goes explodey? And you got to be—you got to have installations all over the place, right? Wouldn't you? Yeah, especially if they were shaping whole solar systems. Exactly. So they got to be all over the place. Why would they just suddenly wink? Just because their home system it's, blew it's, up? It's the Star Trek uh, magic eraser. We <laughs> want to get rid of the Romulans. Oh, their star explodes. Well, that's so another. Exactly. All the Romulans are gone. It's the same point. <laughs> yes, I agree with that 100%. We want to make the Klingons weak. Let's just blow up one moon. Right. And it takes down the whole empire unless they get help right. from the Federation. Yeah, I, I don't like that. 
Yeah. But you know what? They got to make it for the uh, the lowest common denominator sitting there at the theater. So mm-hmm. I guess that that's something that they can digest. Sure. Okay. Okay. So you got the big brain in there, huge brain, and um, what? So Crusher and uh, the Vulcan guy are trying to figure it out, and they just all this techno babble, and they don't know what to make of the thing. Right. Yet. In that last outpost episode, um, there—I mean, there was a human-looking guy, the Guardian of Takan, that came out, right? And he looked like a human. Yeah, they didn't even mention that here. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, what the heck? You know, so in the last six hundred thousand years, did some Takan experiment evolve into a godlike brain? Is that what they're saying? I don't get it. Yeah, but it's not just a brain. I mean, it's the whole like when they're flying through the station, you see like spinal cord, like a giant spinal cord and rib cage, and obviously there was a giant body there at some point too. Wow. Okay, I did not notice a, a spinal cord, but okay, yeah. Yeah, look at page uh, twenty-two when they're chasing the Klingons. I mean, they're chasing it. Down a spinal cord oh, that's through true. the ribs. Yeah, that's that, that's a good point. I guess I hadn't noticed that. So yeah. it's a huge entity of some sort. Yeah, of which it's the just... brain they say is hybrid, or they say they think it's hibernating. Right. Hmm. Okay, but I guess it's going to wake up after those photon torpedoes hit it, <laughs> or whatever they're shooting at it. Yeah. Okay. Well. So this this god killing weapon, uh, what kind of effect does it have on a starship? I don't know because they they just shoot regular torpedoes at yep. them. Quantum, yeah. quantum quantum torpedoes at them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I'm just trying to assess the tactical the tactical superiority that uh, that Kalos has as his disposal. I mean, supposedly the ship was built by the Shapers, right? Right. So, or is it just the weapon? I don't know. Well, I think they I think they said an issue too. They built the ship and the weapon. Right, I thought so too. But but um, yeah, I don't know. And so, in, in regards to that, what what all can the ship do? Mm-hmm. What caused the space to thicken and all the mechanical bits in the ship to start going crazy there for a little bit, and then it just seems like it was back to normal after the yeah. Klingon ship showed up. Yep. Well, was was that the transition? I mean, how's it moving around? I, mean, I don't know. It says that it was moving at warp nine point seven. So I, I just assume okay, so normal, normal warp engines. Normal warp engines. So, is it the weapon that causes that? I don't know. Or, uh, or at I, first I thought it was the brain waking up. Oh, you know that the brain was causing some sort of interference. But oh. then later they say that it's a uh, dormant or whatever. So who knows? Yeah. Okay. I was confused. And plus, I just want to know what thick space is. <laughs> it's it's technobabble. And, and by the way, Scotty's radiation outfit. Love it. Don't say anything I, bad about it. I, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I, I like it too, but isn't it identical to what he wore in Wrath of Khan? Yep. Identical. It's been a hundred years. Yeah, but... right. He just has them replicate the newest in the the newest functionality in the, in the old, old style. Yeah, just, okay. I just 
he okay. looks good in that. It's very ah. slimming. A slimming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's white. It doesn't have horizontal lines in it. Yeah, it's slimming. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. So I call the use of bird of prey <laughs> and Scotty's uh, anti-radiation jumpsuit as uh, you know unnecessarily using stuff from the past. But okay, fine. Yeah, uh, you're not wrong. So in regards to that, uh, when everything was going awry, like their shields going down and mm-hmm. warning systems on every deck, mm-hmm. what was with Talar? Because he starts acting really weird. He's like, oh, space is, uh, things are getting, uh, that, that's not very Vulcan. <laughs> I mean, we know that he's not a Vulcan. Yeah, but, exactly. But I was wondering if whatever was causing the uh, malfunctions and thick space was also affecting him with whatever he is. Yeah. Hmm? So I was like, oh, maybe Maybe. he's an android or something, and this whatever this is that's knocking out all the systems is somehow affecting his... Oh, positronic brain? Positronic brain. Oh, my God, it's a third brother of Data. (laughs) Or he's some sort of something from the future. Or, you know, I was just trying to think of what, what it could be. And but nobody picks up on it. Nobody's like, you know what? You're the first Vulcan I've ever say, heard say, "Ooh." Yeah, look at the look <laughs> on his face. I know, right? He looks totally shocked. But no, Mouth no, is open. Nobody calls him on it. Yeah, I don't know. So I am curious to see what what he is and, and what yeah. that storyline is. I, I think, judging by his gibberish and look on his face, he's not a robot. Nah, well, unless he was getting, unless his brain was getting scrambled or something, <laughs> along with the uh, the other parts of the ship. Okay, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a robot either. But who knows? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so after that page, though, it seems like everything was back to normal, and and they were able to fight the thing. Oh yeah, they seem to be able to be fully functional. Okay, so are they actually? So they're actually moving through the hull of that space station. Towards right. where the brain is. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Because the last shot in the book looks like they're both heading towards a sphere with lights on it. Yeah, that's inside the brain. Or inside the planet The planet size. Well, I agree with that. But, okay. They said it was hollow inside there, so. Well, yeah, I get all that. It's just that when Crusher and Talir are looking at it, it looks kind of like a brain. Oh, oh, oh. So it doesn't, it's not really circular, but this looks more circular. Although we can't yeah. see all of it. Maybe that's just the membrane around the brain. Oh, around the outside of the brain? Yeah. Okay. Okay, bye. That's fine. <laughs> so what do you think about the, the two or three pages we had at the beginning about him thinking about how he's going to talk to Jake? I mean... Ah, useless. Jake's a grown man that's seen tons of crazy stuff. Yeah. You don't think he can have a conversation about what is and isn't a god? Uh, I thought that was really weird. Well, I thought part of his misgiving is that he knows, because he's apparently this is one of the things his half uh, prophet or whatever uh, uh, genome causes i mean that he knows how the conversation is going to go right i don't know i don't know but jake's what a quarter prophet so he probably should be aware <laughs> of uh, what's coursing through his genes too yeah I and mean, i think the whole idea 
of Cisco being half profit is like, it's just like, I mean, they're energy beings, right? And I, and I know, I know the energy being had to somehow shift into human form. Uh, and it was a she, so she had to have a, a, a functioning womb. I mean, were you going right. to keep it in a box? Yeah. The embryo. Um, I don't know. The whole she was thing able to make herself so. corporeal in order to have, have the baby. <sighs> okay. So the whole idea is incorporeal. So she doesn't have any, she doesn't have a genome. I mean, there's no physical body. So she had to create all that um, to even make uh, a coupling possible. And then, I don't know. The whole idea of Cisco inheriting things from his prophet lineage is just, I don't know. The whole thing <laughs> is kind of hard to, hard, to, hard to understand, hard to take. Right. Except to me. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but speaking of theological stuff. Okay. Um, so I wasn't. I didn't know I was talking I, about theological stuff. I know, but stuff, I'm just but, like, okay. with this whole God stuff and Cisco being, you know, he's half God, is, you know, a little bit of a, a Messiah type thing going on there with him being half God and half human. What, he's Jesus? Yeah. And then you're always hearing, you know, you always hear. You know, when they talk about Kalos in the past, it was always like, oh, he's the Klingon Jesus. Mm. Uh, so then I did kind of like in this story that 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 Kalos is the one that's like, we got to destroy all these other gods. And it was almost like he was being some sort of messiah in that he was killing all the other gods because you can't put any other god above him kind of oh. thing. I was like, wow, is, you're is really that getting... where they're going with this? I feel I mean, like I'm was... in Sunday school right now. <laughs> and if so, it's kind of cool, but kind of blasphemous. I don't know. It was a little, <laughs> <laughs> little ooky sitting there reading this book this morning. Right. Oh, yes, your timing is interesting, too, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. I don't know. Do, 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 you, do you not think that's maybe what was in there? When they're in their heads, when they picked Kalis of all characters to be the god killer, I did not even think of that. Mm. I did not recall that Kalis was referred to as the Klingon Jesus. Well, not officially, uh, but I've heard it referred out in outside circles that, that, that okay. he's called that. Yeah, that that didn't occur to me. But now that you bring it up, it's very interesting. Well, even in that episode of The Next Generation, it was always like, one day Kalis will return, mm-hmm. and he'll bring, you know, bring together all the factions of the Klingon Empire under mm-hmm. one, you know, and it was just like, I've heard this before somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is somehow familiar. And it is funny that in that Taz episode with uh, Kalis, that the for the human side, it was supposed to be Jesus, but they were like, eh. Too many people might not like this episode. Let's make it Abraham Lincoln. Nobody will have a problem with Abraham Lincoln. Mm, mm, mm. So, anyway. yeah, you don't want to get too far into religion and then uh, be, you know, not be able to broadcast in uh, the southern states. Right. But we'll go ahead and have an interracial kiss. Yeah, yeah, that's. Okay. I, I guess you pick where you want to 
want to have your fights. Right. Yeah, having Jesus versus Abraham Lincoln in that scenario, it wouldn't have changed anything. The episode still. I think that would have made it a more interesting episode. <laughs> episode is not my favorite episode. Well, it's not a good episode. But, like you, I mean, Taz was very hit and miss. True. So, any other comments on this one? No. I think I've uh, touched all the points I wanted. I touched all the points I wanted. Uh, again, I just think we have way too many characters. They're characters that I know from other stuff, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like those characters. It really feels like they're here. You know, like somebody pulled them out of a toy box and had them sitting on the bridge. But uh. They're not the right wharf. They're not the right Paris. They're not the right. How about Cisco? Data. Cisco's a mixed bag because he would be he would be so different than the Cisco that we knew. You expect he has so. Transcended and come back. Exactly. So. I, out of all of them, he's the only one that I kind of feels like it. You know, he it makes sense for him to be a little off. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, even Crusher, she's just like there. She doesn't add anything to the story, really. It's not. It doesn't really feel like even her. Just so it's, else with red it's just continuing the way it's been through all the TNG movies, then. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> She's just she's just there in the background, or maybe in sick bay, right? Two good comics this week. What are we doing next week, Donnie? Uh, next week, since we're all caught up on recent uh, Star Trek books, we're going to get to do some more Orville. Ah, the Orville. Yeah. So the uh, the next little mini series, and it is convenient that their mini series are two issues long. So mm-hmm. we'll do the mini series Heroes. Okay. Which is part of the second part of season two point five, or what we've dubbed two point five, or what you've dubbed two point five? Don't blame me. I call it heroes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but there are. Uh, I think there's a graphic novel that calls it season two point five. Okay, so launch day was the first two in two point five, supposedly. At least that's what I got down. Right, and, and if then, you look at the issue, the issue itself, it says Heroes Part 1, but then if you look at the, um, uh, you know, the little publishing thing mm-hmm. at, on the first page, it says Orville Issue 3, so. There you go, yeah. So, it is a little wonky. Yeah, yeah, the cover actually says number 3. Oh, okay, so it's the cover that says 3, and the other one says 1. But it's all it's good. definitely Part 1 of Heroes uh, it says number three on the cover. Okay. So we'll talk about it next week. But I am looking forward to it. And then I think what we have three more little mini series of Orville, and then we'll be caught up on that one too. Right. And who knows? There might not be any more Orville on TV. Yeah. Hope I hope I hope it comes back. Why? Why is it always so precarious? It's an expensive show. Yeah. Well, and it's all up to him. I mean, it's if if Seth MacFarlane doesn't want to make any more, then obviously they can't make any more. But why wouldn't he want to make more? I don't know. I mean, I know he's got other projects going on. He's I mean, a busy man. He is a busy man. I mean, but does the world really need um, a foul-mouthed teddy bear on a weekly TV show? Oh, they're going to make Ted into a TV show? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's part of what he's busy with. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't like the last Ted's. 
the first one was okay. I never saw the second one. I never saw the second one either. Uh, it was really the uh, what the th- uh, the salad dressing on the on the fur. It was yeah. That was, was really it. like ooh. <laughs> you didn't need to go there. You just didn't need to go there. Anyway, mm. whatever. Okay. Sounds great, Donovan. Thanks everybody for joining us. On a review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.